glitches was the best part. Yeah. As I was watching it the whole time, I was thinking, I was like, man, you know, I always confuse Macbeth with all the other plays. Like, it just gets jumbled up in my head. And I think it's because Macbeth isn't one of my favorite ones anyway. I think it's the one I've had to read the most times. I've had to no, read... No, maybe not. I think I've... I've, I've probably only read it once, really. I think I've only read it once in that in a Shakespeare in that Shakespeare class in undergrad. Yeah, well, you took tragedies, I took comedies. Yeah. And then I had uh, probably Hamlet's the one I've had to read like five times. I still never read it. From like high school to through college, and in grad school, man, I took a Shakespeare class in grad school. I had to read it again. Maybe I I don't know. I don't remember it, but. Yeah, I guess I need to reread all of those. I had to get like a footstool. Like a. For some reason, I just like want to have my legs up higher, you know? Yeah. Like a squatty potty. Some old lady shit. Yeah. I'm short. Squatty potty, dude. If we get a sponsorship, squatty potty, now we're talking. Yeah, I don't feel like I need a squatty potty. I mean, me neither, but. And like, just get, like, who actually needs that? Like, just use a yoga block if you have one. Yeah, that's it. Giving out practical advice, dude. I think (laughs) mostly elderly need that. Some people would find that disgusting. Be like, use your yoga block for that. Yeah, bitch. You know, like, with all this shit that I keep on the floor and, like, sweat on and... Like, there's no sanitizing these blocks, dude. Yeah, it's like... $20 $20 foam thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it's worse with mine. They're cork. Oh, uh, it is worse. Uh, <laughs> but I guess they're both just as porous, so they just like let bacteria hide yeah, in there. Yeah, sure. Those por- porous materials. Goddamn. Porous fucking materials. What is this? Episode 9? I don't know. Damn, dude. Nine episodes. Depends on if we cut any out. Yeah. Should be good. Some of those stinkers. Fucking Virginia Woolf. Yeah. She's good. Really good. Very good, yeah. My god, first book that we like I've read in a while. I mean I've already read this book. But oh, man, there's something that's so good about a book that you just read and you're like, oh shit, yeah, that's a book about life. <laughs> yeah, it's actually it's one of my questions. Uh we'll get to that. But yeah, Virginia Woolf pretty fucking famous. Most people know or at least recognize the name if you've never read any of her books. You probably had to read some in high school or you pretended to in high school. That's usually the norm, right? Pretending to read it in high school. I couldn't have read this in high school. It was too stupid, and I really had terrible reading comprehension. It's interesting you say that because I had to read. The only other thing I've read of Wolf is Mrs. Dalloway, and I had to read that in undergrad for like a 200 level survey course. Uh,. And I remember hating that when I read it in, like, my early 20s. But 
uh, I'd be very interested to go back and reread it now. Because like you just said, like I don't think I'd be able to read this to the lighthouse without being a little bit older. <laughs> and it's not even like we're fucking old. Like, I guess by some standards we are, but... I mean, I just, I did not have the attention for those long-ass sentences. Sentences, but I think it's more, too. Like, she's but getting... But it's also so, like, intense and heavy and... Right. She's getting at something, like, that I don't think you can fully comprehend. Maybe you can, but I would say most people probably can't fully comprehend what she's actually trying to talk about in these things without having some life experience. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense or not. I mean, yeah, it does. Because, yeah, I could see myself reading this as like a 20-something in undergrad, just being like dismissive. Like, Fuck this, it's boring. Like, no, I think 20-something's old enough. I think, you know, I read this in my early 20s. Oh, you've already read it. And I loved this. it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Read this in my early twenties. I read this for. Okay, yeah. I guess we'll we'll blur that name out, but. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I assume we'll blur out all of this, you know, side chatter. Depends. It's not if it's, interesting. Depends if it's good or not, man. Uh, yeah, that's actually for that same teacher. I, we didn't take the class together when we were in undergrad together, but I took a same class. But obviously. Different class. Obviously, the teacher changes up the readings, too, so it's, uh, I, that's where the class I had to read Mrs. Dalloway in, it's the same yeah, teacher. Yeah, I mean, we both, we both read Virginia Woolf in undergrad for the same professor, but for different classes. And different and, yeah. books, too, I mean, different I never, books. yeah, it's my first time um, reading To the Lighthouse. Yeah, I actually pulled out my notes from that. I guess this is considered her masterpiece. I mean, wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I, I think, I think so. I think, you know, people might say the same of Mrs. Dalloway, but, um, but yeah, this is fucking beautiful. Fucking Virginia Woolf. Yeah. So Virginia Woolf, if you don't know Virginia Woolf, uh, 20th century authors, she's considered probably... One of the most important, if not the most important, like kind of modernist, uh, she's British, right? I believe so. Yeah. And I, I would say easily, like, she didn't write that many novels. But I actually did look this up. So To the Lighthouse was published in 1927 originally, and then it's basically just been like an instant classic ever since. Uh but yeah, we don't want to get too into her personal life. Although people love to talk about biography with authors, that could be something interesting to go into. These, um, the obsession with Virginia Woolf's biography. I guess this is true for a lot of writers, but... Well, it's true for the most loved writers. Right. And she was such like a big figure in like the sort of modernist like British modernist literary circle yeah I guess they call this her most autobiographical novel 
Do they? I don't know. So it says on the back of mine. <laughs> I guess we read different versions. I read the Wordsworth Classics uh, edition, so that's nice and cheap on Amazon. I think it's like five bucks, published in 94, and then I think reissued in 2002. Uh, it's good, unabridged text. Introduction that I was bored to death, so I stopped reading by uh, Nicola Bradbury. Uh, which version did you read, so? Um, I have the Harcourt. Harcourt books. Yeah, it's the copy I actually I got in school. Alright, so the page numbers would be a little different, but it's a pretty short book. Yeah, I mean, my copy is only... 208 pages. There's just 208. Damn, mine's like 150, 160, not even. Yeah. yeah, my copy's probably a little bit nicer. Probably has slightly bigger text. Yeah, this is the. And those that don't know, the Wordsworth editions are like trying to make the classics. Like the whole point of it is to make it cheap and affordable. I guess they say for students and stuff too. But we're gonna we'll link both copies in the description. You can buy whichever one you want as we continue to uh, encourage everyone to add these books to their library. Because otherwise, what the fuck are you doing? I guess you could rent it from a public library, but buy a $5 copy. Fucking mark it up. Underline some of these great lines. Uh, fucking read. Read the goddamn book. But yeah, alright, so those are the two versions. Fucking Virginia Woolf very very big uh figure and where do we start <clears throat> we'll just start initial thoughts as usual and then i have a couple ideas of how you want to go through this i mean i always take notes as i go so it's always so happens that my notes are in like chronological order with the text as i consume it so that helps us to kind of just go through major points if we want to do that but i always like to start with our thoughts and we can talk about themes because this is another book where the themes are very much abundant, fucking out the ass, uh, themes all over the place. Yeah, I mean, split into three sections, just to talk about structure for a minute. Um, they're all pretty different, but all part of the same story. Uh, I love this book. Um, it's not like a super easy read. Speak on it, Seth. <laughs> um, but it's fucking gorgeous. I mean, it's really, really meditative, really, um, like, heavily philosophical, but not in the obnoxious way, you know? Not like talking about philosophers here, but just sort of the um, characters, and I would argue probably Wolf's um, personal philosophies on, like, life and what it you know or like the search for meaning in life and i think approaches that question of meaning uh, while very broadly like very sort of i mean it's just kind of badass it because it's so huge and so large and it's sort of like you get like, so much of this book is, like, a snippet of time. It's just, like, a day. 
yeah, the bulk, I guess, what, book one or part one? Is part it... one, which I would say is like the first half of the book, at least. Yeah, definitely carries the most weight in terms of the other two sections. And then like, yeah, that's all one day, basically. The book, the part one is like one day. And then we jump 10 years in part two. And for having so many characters, like I felt invested i mean not so many characters that it's like holy shit how do you keep track of these it's not like game of thrones level right. you know but uh like so many names that float past you that's like accumulate meaning for you over time within a relatively like short number of pages right like mrs ramsey is like such a good character Lily Bosco is such a good character. Mr. Ramsey is a great sort of tragic character. Yeah. Sort of tragic, not entirely. I would say all of them, essentially. Even when we get, like, James towards the end. Uh, I'm just thinking this now, but, like, I guess this is well known, like her influence on other people. But as reading these novels, like when you read the Virginia Woolf novels, I mean, she clearly set the tone for like literary novels for like the last hundred years. I mean, well, like you get that really intense, like stream of consciousness, but without being obnoxious in the same way that we see in a lot of contemporary novels where it's very like it's overly self-reflexive and overly you know sort of self-involved in, in an uninteresting way um yeah i think like virginia wolf's character is like where that happens it's so addressed and like um talking about sort of the self-reflexivity of the characters in a way that is actually quite critical. And I think that was really interesting. I'm also just generally a sucker for that style when it's done really well and seeing the movement of the mind, but like in a way that is rhythmic and really makes sense and isn't just sort of folding in all of these like random kind of sexy ideas you know just for the sexiness of it yeah um but yeah i think it's gorgeous i i like the prose is unreal it's gorgeous it's like fucking actually very beautiful it puts poets to shame yeah i, I noticed that i was just thinking like this obviously she's known for the stream of consciousness for those that don't know listeners that's her big thing and basically she does it better than anybody before her and pretty much anybody since dude i mean i can't think of anybody that does this stream of consciousness kind of style as good or better than she did yeah and there are other like small things like i mean the way that she shifts perspective so often without warning Right. right. She'll just sort of float from one character perspective right into the next. You know, one character might be thinking about another character and you might be getting that perspective and then we slip over into the other character's 
perspective and like it works really well and often we'll get like uh like a a train of thought from one character for a long time and then the next character will sort of pick up on the same thought and it's just really well done and really convincingly done yeah and also like felt really honest like these characters felt very very honest that's an interesting word to use. I don't know if we want to get into it, but I'm always thinking like, you know, you hear people say this all the time. It's like, well, it's honest. Well, they had a lot of depth in a way that right. felt true. Right. But so, I think that's a lot of what this book was trying to address. Yeah. It's like the nature of being a person and by, you know, just by virtue of being human, being sort of private. I was thinking uh, while reading this book, dude, I kept going back to our episode on Joy Williams, The Quick and the Dead. I mean, she feels like someone who would be very heavily influenced by modernist literature. Right. I kind of, it made me kind of understand uh, what Williams was trying to do with that stuff. I feel like that's a lot of what we see when we see what comes out. I mean, I feel that way about everything, though. I would say that about, like, modernism, but then I would also say that I'm actually more drawn to those books than I am to the ones that are more born out of, like, you know, if we were to talk about, like, confessional poetry. But, yeah, I don't know. There's something that also just feels really not nearly as sincere and that in The Quick and the Dead, as, like, those characters don't feel anywhere as sincere or as deep or as, like, true to life. Like, they don't feel like they're living and breathing as honestly as these characters are. There's that word again. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I think more it's just style. I was noticing more that like, oh, okay. You know, obviously Wolf is one of the biggest influences in literature ever. So of course people are influenced by her style and all this stuff, trying to copy, trying to improve whatever it is. Uh, try to attempt to create something on the same level. I mean, that's all we're doing, right? I mean, those people while writing. But yeah, our initial thoughts are, we liked it. <laughs> I liked it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it was pretty fucking great. And honestly, I was telling Sophie this, I was not thrilled. Like, we have our list set up, and we go through this list... Uh, so a reminder to listeners, too, if you requested something, we've taken note, but our list is long, and it may take us years <laughs> to get to the, the books you want us to, but yeah, I wasn't, I was like, oh man, you know, this high-minded literary thing, I wasn't thrilled, and then I just sat down with it and was enthralled, absolutely enthralled, uh, just completely hypnotized like I was like hypnotized by the book as you're reading through it yeah it was good it was up there it's one of the best ones we've read so far because we've only done nine books for this did you have a uh, introduction in your version oh yeah I didn't read it <laughs> <laughs> 
I it's by mine is Eudora Welty though. Ooh, nice. I saw that version. I thought about buying. I was like, all right, Eudora Welty. But uh, yeah, mine was so boring. I only read like three pages of it. That happens with introductions. It depends who writes it. So if you have like another writer doing an introduction, it's usually a much more personal and like fan style introduction where they talk about what the work means to them and then maybe overall to like the field of literature and then when you get like an academic doing the introduction dude it is so academic it's like it's impossible to read <laughs> it's just like oh my god you guys just don't know how to write like a funny pleasing introduction uh yeah at least that's been my experience with it but anyway yeah Eudora just... seems fairly to the point and fairly brief not obnoxious yeah well i like that was eudora's style dude i like eudora and i like that she was one who was very open to <clears throat> like pop fiction as well like she loved crime fiction and shit and she would openly say we should be talking more about these types of novels and do you have her collected stories? You do. I have her. Yeah, I have her no. collected short stories. I keep meaning to read that, okay. but it's thick as fuck. Add to the list. Add to the list. But yeah, all right. So we talked about that. We both really enjoyed this book. It's great. Pick up a cheap copy and put it on your shelf. Pretend to read it if you want, but we suggest you read it. Uh, we've already said some of these. Do you want to start with themes or do you want to go off of, uh, mention um, the sentences? We already mentioned how grand and beautiful they are. Dense. They are dense and winding and long, <laughs> uh, but not always. Like there, there are moments where you get like these really brief sentences that she uses to like punctuate these longer, windier thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, that is fucking it's I noticed that too, and I noticed this in modernist texts anyway, so when I read modernist authors, if they're good, they were using every fucking structure that they could in like composing these sentences. I was thinking her use of parenthetical, which is one of my questions about, uh, I was thinking of like, and it made me think of like Faulkner's use of parenthetical. Like they really just like use it to their full advantage. Like all the grammatical things you could do, all the structural things you could do. And we're talking to sentence wise, not necessarily plot wise, but like sentence wise is used to the full advantage. And it's like, yeah, this beautiful, beautifully composed shit. Yeah, just really, really attentive to language. Yeah. But yeah, man, do you want to start with themes? I mean, we could go on themes. There's a lot of shit in this. Well, do you want to sort of summarize what's happening in this first bit? Like in these first several chapters. So in this first... Um, in the first section at the beginning, it sort of opens with Mrs. Ramsey... And her son, one of her sons, her I think her youngest son, right, James? It's James. James is her favorite. Yeah. Um. And there's eight kids. You learn all that shit. This kind of 
what you I guess you'd call it upper middle class family in England. Yeah, and James wants to go to the lighthouse. And Mrs. Ramsey is saying, you know, well, well, if, if it's good out tomorrow, basically. And then um, Mr. Ramsey keeps coming in being like, it won't be fine tomorrow. We can't go to the lighthouse. Uh... And she keeps being all pissed off that he's being so intense about it. And that keeps coming back throughout this section. Um, and like I said, the section, you know, takes course over one day so from the beginning of this section to the end of this section is the same day right so will they won't they go to the lighthouse yeah and that's weird because it's like to set up a plot for this like i guess that is the plot but it's not actually like yeah um well and there are all these people that are like you know at their vacation home i guess Right. Um, and they have all these people joining them. And what? They have like eight kids. Eight kids. Bunch of guests come to their house. I guess this is their summer house, right? And it's like yeah. on like uh, the shores of somewhere in England. And yeah. They come there for the summer, blah, blah. And then there's on top of that, there's like housekeepers and stuff that pop in and out. And there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, um, and, like, friends of the family and shit right. that are just there that we hear a lot of criticism about. Yeah, yeah and so, yeah, go ahead. Lots of shots at academics. Lots of shots at academics. But particularly when they're taught, when, I think, when Wolf's describing or writing here uh, about Mr. Ramsey, who his job is he's a professor of, like, philosophy or something, right? Like, uh tenured professor somewhere and he's constantly worrying about not just his reputation but his work and all that kind of stuff and or how famous he is yeah. there's a lot of concern for how famous any one of them is well really just ramsey mr ramsey i guess yeah and well there's um lily maybe no the poet uh tansley no no well, Tansley also, he seemed like someone who had a lot of care for that. But um, the one who didn't seem to care quite as much about it, Carmichael, right. who was like, he was like the opium addict one, right? Yeah, like the old guy that just kind of lumbers around. Like, yeah. Falls asleep in chairs, with, like poetry books open on his lap. Yeah, and everyone kind of just makes fun of him. <laughs> yeah. Typical poet, you know, yeah. Um. Yeah, but a lot of criticism of, like, of frustration. I mean, we get mostly the internal thoughts of characters. I feel, you know, most of it isn't just, like, dialogue. I was going to ask a question about that, too. That's one of my questions, is the use of dialogue in this in this novel, especially. Because what I kept noticing is that the, the dialogue, obviously, is very sparse. That's part of her style but it's only sparse if you look at it in like the traditional kind of dialogue setup with like the brackets you know the, the quotations around the speech so and so said she still has the say like she kind of describes the conversation instead yeah. of giving us the actual conversation well she gives us the internal monologue version of the conversation 
interspersed with things where I think like I just mean like she'll just straight up say like there'll be some dialogue but then it'll go into like inter you know like inner monologue type thing but then it'll be like he said aloud and then it's not quotations or anything it isn't definitely has to distinguish between said aloud and thought like there were definitely moments where there was something distinguishing between someone imagining conversation and someone actually saying something out loud. Um, yeah. And I kept noticing this kind of, and you know, it's almost, it's a cliche in writers, rooms, workshops, programs, whatever. We're like, Oh, you know, show don't tell. Uh, I think Wolf says, fuck you to a lot of that. Uh, because she's, she's telling us a lot. And I noticed this specifically with the dialogue. It's like she's telling us the dialogue. But she's not showing us the conversation in like the kind of, you know, typical kind of dialogue form. Uh, and my question was just like, yeah, you know, how is this used? Is it an advantage to the text, a weakness, you know? Well, I think the goal of the text isn't to show us the exact image of how they interact with one another but how their minds interact with what is going on right um so i don't know if the like the whole show don't tell even actually applies because it's like she is showing us the insides of her character's minds even when like you know i in ways that i think are very different from just like having an objective narrator telling you such and such is happening and they're filled with scenes too like the inner monologue is like there are still things happening and yeah i don't know it's a weird one Um, i would i would say this is genius level using that type of rule breaking not even rule breaking like you're saying it's it's not quite that show versus tell thing but it's like i think it's genius level using that type of technique uh, to pull the reader through. Yeah, I, I thought it was, it's kind of, I guess it, you know, it's what she's known for. I mean, this is like her huge innovation in, in literature was her stream of consciousness type thing where this, the repressed... well, and it's so, so concerned with the inner lives of characters. So much like it was so much more focused on that than on you know, what characters might be saying to each other, but what they weren't saying to each other. But, like, what they were thinking about each other. What they had maybe wanted to say to one another, but didn't. Like, and that felt, that made them that much realer. I think. Yeah. I think it is almost, like, I don't know. Maybe it's easier also to show the mind i mean it's a lot more work in some ways but maybe more naturally easy to write the mind than to write oh yeah like a really scripted but like dialogue with the sense that it's really real like that it would really happen right yeah, and I guess there's endless arguments over that, but yeah, I, I would just say it's yeah, it's definitely an advantage in her style, and I think she the way she uses it is straight up genius level. Like there's you know every once in a while you get a writer that does shit like this, and she's definitely one of those figures. Uh, again, this is well known, right? It's not like we're like oh, 
this is our opinion. I mean, this is literally like the consensus uh, of the literary world. But yeah, man, I was thinking like themes and shit like that. Like uh, there is a lot, but uh, I guess you always come back to, and I see a lot of writing about this that I passively glanced at. uh, And just like the marriage themes, because it's marriage is definitely a theme, but it's, it's much deeper than just like, you know, marriage. It is about... Uh, you know, being newlywed, puppy love versus being married for decades versus being married for 10 years. I mean, all this kind of, like it's, and all that's different, like it's all different. And I think that's why people love Wolf so much is she does manage to capture these subtle, subtle dynamics that can only happen. Well, and also just some of the basic stuff of men and women. Yeah, that's a huge, I, I think she's brilliant. And at what that. they s- think of each other absolutely brilliant (laughs) i i I was uh blown away yeah by that kind of the theme of yeah like uh male versus female but also like the celebration of ordinary life and of like you know like being mostly a housewife or like taking joy in like these I mean, I, maybe that could be argued, but, like, some of it is, like... And there yeah. are characters that push back on it. But, um, like, there is that celebration, I think, of... Um, I don't know. What would you call it? Like, domestic life? Yeah, I mean, they call it domesticity. And I've seen a lot of, from what I've, again, passively glanced at some scholarship and writings on this there yeah that's all about that the domesticity aspect the everyday doing laundry mending stockings making sure the fires are lit uh all you know just groundskeeping making sandwiches for make sure your eight kids get fed like and well and like the life of the home yeah as like it's like space to be filled with life all the time and to like fill with joy and like yeah, it, but definitely, um, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Ramsey paint a very interesting picture of, like, a sort of the central, I guess, couple or, like, the the people around which everything sort of happens. Again, right? I, going back, I don't think if I was unmarried, if I have never experienced marriage and, like, what it is... I don't think this book would have had as big an impact on me. Like, again, if I was like a 20 something who doesn't know what the fuck marriage is, only has like vague inklings from like pop culture and novels. I just don't think it would have hit as hard. I agree. But also it still did for me, I think, but it's funny because I'll read back and I'll see notes. I took where I like Lily Bosco, who is like this artist who, is always always described with as having small Chinese eyes. <laughs> like, oh just, shit! Here we, we go. To, <laughs> I mean, we have to say so. Yeah, it happened, dude. and it happens a lot. So just oh, like shit. you know, okay, like know that that happens, oh, shit. right? And it happens frequently. <laughs> All right. Oh yeah. Uh, but you know, and that is a... not most of the novel yeah. by far, and. Um, like is um but she is like this painter and she's also like one of i would say you know she if 
we have Mrs. Ramsey on one end as being one central character. And even, you know, Mr. Ramsey, I would say, plays a lesser role. Um, We're not also in Lily his Otto, head as much. Yeah. He's a big deal. He is like right. very important to the novel, but I wouldn't say that he is a central character. We are definitely not in his head as much as we are in Lily's. Right. And I see them as being like the two counterparts in which I would expect Wolf kind of sees herself in both. Okay. That's my guess. Before we get to Lily, because I do want to talk about Lily's dynamic and what she, what she does in this book, just before we move off the last topic here about marriage and it's also an example i have of her dialogue use so she's not doing structured dialogue but she says this is on page 49 in my version it's chapter 12 of the first book uh you know of part one and it's at the end of the second very long paragraph uh, at the beginning of this chapter uh chapter 12 uh for the wordsworth edition it's page 49 so here it is when they're talking. It's between Mr. Ramsey and Mrs. Ramsey, and they're talking about their son, Andrew, who I believe is their eldest son, and he's like trying to be like a scholar or whatever and following his father's footsteps a little bit. Uh, and we later learn in the novel that, you know, he goes off to war and dies in World War One, right? Two. World War II. Right. Well, I would say World War II didn't happen yet when this novel was written, so definitely World War One. Wait, what do I have written here? Hang on. I feel like that was a note that I had in here. You've got to be right. Yeah, this book came out in 27, so it definitely wasn't about World War I. I mean, World War II. Uh, anyway, the the whole point of that is just... So here's an example of them talking, right, uh, about their son, Andrew, about him trying to get a scholarship so he can move on, you know, be a scholar, blah, blah. It says, he should be very proud of Andrew if he got a scholarship, comma, he said. And that's completely, you know, so she's talk, she's giving, giving us the dialogue, just not in structure. And Ram, Miss Ramsey says, she would be just as proud of him if he didn't, she answered. Uh, and then we get the kind of thing about both their heads. So they disagreed always about this, but it did not matter. She liked him to believe in scholarships, and he liked her to be proud of Andrew, whatever he did. And I'm just like, yeah, like this is one of the perfect dynamics of marriage happening. Like the marriage dynamics happening in the text right here, like... They disagreed always about this, but it did not matter. <laughs> she liked him to believe in scholarships, and he liked her to be proud of Andrew, whatever he did. And it's this kind of means to an end, but yeah. So that's just why I pulled that out. So it gives the example of the dialogue I'm talking about. Like, there is dialogue. It's just kind of, like, very much subtle and embedded in the longer kind of inner monologue musings and then you all of a sudden you get straight up he said she answered these kind of things but it's not set off like regular dialogue and it works brilliantly that's what i mean like the genius level of using this technique is very apparent but yeah anyway yeah that's the only point i wanted to make if you're looking for like an actual example but when you were talking about lily my question about lily yeah is what is lily's purpose in the novel and you were just getting to it and i interrupted you before we moved on but I said she's almost the opposite of Miss Ramsey. Yeah, I think she's her like her foil in some ways. And I, I think I, like she's specifically yeah, the judgment that she, not that she says out loud, but that she thinks about Lily, the Lily character about Miss Ramsey. Yeah. Uh, well, <clears throat> and also, um, well, right, and that judgment wasn't overtly stated at first, but sort of comes about. 
later on as like this thing like this idea that Mrs. Ramsey always gets what she wants. She you know, has this way of willing things. And she has this idea that like Mrs. Ramsey must hold some like she must have some secret knowledge. Right? Even though she disagrees and, like, laughs when Mrs. Ramsey is always telling her that, you know, oh, you must marry. Like, you must, ha- you know, you're missing, you have no, basically that you you can't access the best parts of life if you don't marry, which, you know. Back then was probably true for a woman. And uh, also Mrs. Ramsey kind of goes on to sort of be very honest about her marriage and like her frustrations with her husband and all of this and people see that but they also see this incredible beauty in Mrs. Ramsey yeah like they're all very taken with her and sort of love her and even Lily Bosco kind of loves her and questions whether she loves Mrs. Ramsey but then says no it's all this that I love it's like this place and so, like, this sort of, like, housemaking and this sort of sense of comfort and of always having, you know, like, people and, like, just something happening around well, you. You would, I could argue that the biggest change in terms of, like, character change that you kind of expect in a traditional novel form is Lily. Because Lily is most of that last section, her perspective and her kind of reflection as she sits there staring at her easel, kind of trying to paint and, like... Because Mr. Ramsey doesn't really... And I would say James as well. Because James is only mentioned briefly in the first section because he's very young. And then we jump 10 years and he's 17. So he's like 7 in the first section. And they talk a briefly mention that he hates his father. Uh, and yeah, then well, they at the briefly... End, at, at the very beginning, she like you get this wonderful moment of Mrs. Ramsey. So Mr. Ramsey is being all like severe and intense and... Like, you know, he's described as being like a scholar who's like pacing around and sort of living in his own world and is obsessed with like, you know, philosophy. And it seems that like Mrs. Ramsey, too, has her own space for that, but is more like meditative and loves to sort of separate herself from the world in these quiet moments. Um, But she gets all there always describing Mr. Ramsey as bearing down. Right. He's bearing down on her at this moment, like in this you know, exchange or something. And those words keep being used. And in this moment, um, Mr. Ramsey says, no, we are not going to the lighthouse tomorrow. He says it again. So it keeps coming up. That's going and back. And then Mrs. Ramsey goes, thinks about James and says, yep, he'll remember this moment for the rest of his life. And she says it not knowing that it's true, it seems like, but. Also knowing um, that it's true. like Also like, yeah, it's. It's brilliant. It's very human. It's a very hard thing to capture, particularly in writing. We have James later, much later in the last section of the novel, hearing those words that like, you know, about them not going to the lighthouse. Going back to your point about Miss Ramsey and her beauty, right? I mean, I think I, I correct me if I'm misremembering this, but I think right away we get that like in chapter one of the first section that Tansley is basically in his inner monologue admitting to us that he kind of loves Miss Ramsey. Like, he's kind of in love with her. Yeah, I think a lot of the men are. And we get that also with William Banks. Yeah. But through Lily. 
Right. So Lily, and here's where I was thinking the section with Lily. So we were talking about Lily, kind of what is she serving this novel? Kind of like not so much opposite, but kind of opposite of Mrs. Ramsey. And this quote is in my version, page 62. It's in chapter 17 of the first section uh, where she's, they're at the table, I think. And uh, it's through Lily's inner monologue perspective. But then, of course, we go in and out of this. So we hear what's actually happening around the table while also going in and out of Lily's stream of consciousness. So we say, uh, in page 62 here towards the top, it says, Do you write many letters, Mr. Tansley? asked Miss Ramsey, pitying him too, Lily supposed. For that was true of Miss Ramsey. She'd pitied men always as if they lacked something. Women never as if they had something. Yeah. So we get this Lily is very judgmental of, of Mrs. Ramsey, and, we don't, and even Lily doesn't quite know why. Or I guess she does. Maybe she just tried to explain it to us there, right? Pitied men always as if they lacked something. Women never as if they had something. Yeah, I mean, she's so good. Like, she is good. I mean, we like all of, like in all of her moments. So like in that dinner scene, she's so acutely aware of like what is going on with everybody at any given moment like she is she just has like this you know you're gonna hate this word but she just has an intuition about everything no i think everything that's happening i think that intuition is what makes it so intriguing i think that's a good word for it too this intuition but not just intuition like this goes back to one of the the male intuition versus female intuition read into that whatever you want but i mean you know it's it's a, again it's one of these things that's incredibly difficult to capture but somehow like people see into that and have this like very visceral response to her like um like so there's this guy who's there for dinner right um what's his name the guy who marries minta doyle uh i know you're talking about the one that ramsey is obsessed with them marrying miss yeah. ramsey is obsessed with like getting them like kind of matchmaking them together well no not even matchmaking them right she was like worried that it was going to happen but she knew it was happening right and she like would watch them and think yep he's done it he's doing it there uh. it's happening now and like it was and then we go and it is happening then and then they're at the dinner and she's like i know it it's happened look at them uh. It's happened. And then, like, Lily can tell that there's something going on, too. So she's also very sort of aware of things. And what, but, like, yeah, not as, not as obviously, sort of, or, like, she doesn't know how to read it quite as easily. And, um, but Peter also has this really visceral reaction to Mrs. Ramsey, like, as though she had essentially told him to do it as though she had given him permission to do it just by sort of intuitively knowing what was happening. It seemed like they had like between Mrs. Ramsey and other people, there's always this like unspoken thing where she just understands what's happening and they, they see that. It's the subtle social things that you pick up on that are unsaid. Yeah. That's always, that's, I think she's, what she's best at all of it like she's i wrote down in my notes here you're talking about chapter 17 right like that dinner scene so i called it 
between in Which my version. Which is huge. It's yeah. a huge part of this book. It's the like longest maybe, chapter, I it's think. This, I would sort of say, like, it's maybe like the central. It is, yeah. Event. And you like, and you feel it. You feel it as you're reading it, and like, I just paid in my version. It's pages sixty to page eighty, roughly. Yeah, page sixty to page. Because well, it's the only time where all of these people are together and interacting, and we're sort of watching all of them through their internal monologue, except for the few whose minds we never see into, like Carmichael, or you know, like some of the kids, or yeah. Uh, that dinner scene, chapter 17 in book one or section one, pages 60 to 80 in the Wordsworth edition I have, I wrote down in my notes, the dinner scene is absolutely great. It's long, but we get the, like, it's it's the absolute, like, master class in craft, particularly of her style. If you read nothing else in this book, just read chapter 17 of section one, like those 20 pages, just, and you were already talking about it, like the way we bounce around, the way we bounce around the table and everybody's inner monologue is interacting with everybody else's, but they don't know it kind of thing. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just, and like the dialogue, she's using that same dialogue technique where there's a little bit of speech. And then she talks, she just tells us what they said instead of giving us the actual structured dialogue. Like, and it just bounces around and it's, it works. I was reminded of like, you know, when we did Wharton House of Mirth, like it was witty. It was so fucking witty and it was great. Like it was, and it just, it was a masterclass in her style, the way she uses that to a T, like just, just perfectly blends all of these different inner monologues seamlessly going from one to the other. And you feel like you're at that table, right? Like you feel like you're, you're in everybody's head and they're all interacting. They don't even know it, but they do know it because again, it's these unsaid little social cues that wolf is a master at articulating in this type of form in novel form like this so yeah i just had to say that because it's fucking great like <laughs> also at that dinner scene i wrote down here is like so we already talked about the theme of kind of like male female you know the the forever kind of battle of the sexes type thing uh i think that's another thing you see perfectly laid out because you're jumping between all these characters heads you're jumping between the male perspective and the female perspective how they're looking at one another how they know how they know how that person is looking at them type thing right like it's not yeah. like like it's same thing in like social like like you know when somebody's admiring you uh or you know like checking you out like all it's like nothing is said but you see the eyes right like you see the eyes you see the way that they shift in their chair like all this kind of shit that just clues you into what's happening instead of giving us this long back and forth dialogue or something like that. And I just think it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I texted you right after reading that scene, just being like, my God, it was like the last thing I read on like one of the, my reading times when I was reading this book and I ended up on that chapter, you know, it's long. So I was like, all right, well I'll finish this long chapter and then call it a day. And like, I was just enthralled. Like I texted you right away. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, dude, that dinner scene. Holy shit. If I could write half yeah. as well as that, like holy shit, dude. But yeah, I mean, what do you think? I mean, I don't want to just praise it. There were a couple of things I underlined in that chapter. The one I already read you about Lily's kind of Miss Ramsey, just beautiful prose, man. I mean, just there are things I just underlined because I thought they were brilliantly articulated, or they're just like absolutely great. Um, one of the lines, her own poverty of spirit. Ugh. 
Yeah, I mean, so that idea that, you know, this, I mean, so the dinner scene, I think, is also like a show between men and women, and it's where we start to get this sense of Mr. Ramsey. I mean, we already have this sense of him, but I think it kind of becomes developed, the sense of him as someone who must, um, like, he needs to sort of dominate in a situation he needs people to submit to him which later much later on sort of turns to like the need for sympathy which is like (laughs) almost um put about like it comes about as allowing him to dominate a situation from the woman's side which is really interesting but i think like you know we get this sort of interaction. Well, it's not really an interaction. It's an observation from Mrs. Ramsey that, and this is from memory. I can't find the page, but, um, that they were, well, first of all, in the first part of this novel, they keep talking about Shakespeare, right? Who really enjoys reading Shakespeare and how long will Shakespeare be remembered anyway? And Mr. Ramsey seems kind of obsessed with this question and is like uh, reading some article in the paper about it or something. Oh yeah. Like, and, um, you know, was it him that's asserting that, you know, most people who read it don't actually enjoy it anyway. <laughs> Heavy board. They're just pretending to. Yeah. <laughs> literature um, bores me, especially <laughs> great literature. Yeah. Um, but Absolutely meanwhile, brilliant. like, you know, then this is where it feels so full and it never ever one sided. Like, you know, because right. Mrs. Ramsey is there also being like, and he's thinking that he's sitting there like worrying about himself, like, and how, like, you know, will he be forgotten? And like, um, will, you know, like, because by this point, so like he has his book out, but you know, it's been years now. And like, so that sort of flame has died out a little bit and he's like, will I be remembered? And he's like, you know, just obsessed with Shakespeare. And like he's seen through the eyes of Mrs. Ramsey as a sort of pitiful creature um, who sees the work of like the house and just sort of general silliness and like just playfulness is like a kind of nonsense. Yeah. And the men are sort of described that way. It's not just him either. I would say more subtly other characters, maybe not so much Carmichael, the opium addict poet who's just somewhere all the time and sort of openly asked for more soup, which disgusted Mr. Ramsey, I think. I think it was Mr. Ramsey. But like at the dinner, he asks for more soup and Mr. Ramsey's all pissed about it. Or Miss, or maybe it's Mrs. Ramsey knowing that Mr. Ramsey will be all pissed about it. All right. I'm going to highlight, because this is one of the things I did from Banks, right? During that dinner scene um, in chapter 17 of the part one, where it's, we're in, I think it's one of the few places we get Banks uh, thing at that dinner. And he's sitting next to Miss Ramsey and I think it, they, they kind of describe the table as, okay, you know, it's very old school, uh, 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 kind of like, you know, dining where, you know, the servants or, or housekeepers, whatever, footmen or whatever, are serving you. And, they had, you know, Mr. Ramsey's at one head of the table, Miss Ramsey's at the other. And then the guests are kind of scattered in between. Uh, but anyway, Banks is sitting next to her and he's just asking himself at this point as he's trying to keep up conversation. He's like, is human life this? Is human life that? 
One never had time to think about it. But here he was asking himself that sort of question, because Miss Ramsay was giving orders to servants, and also because it had struck him, thinking how surprised Miss Ramsay was that Carrie Manning should still exist, that friendships, even the best of them, are frail things. One drifts apart. He reproached himself again. He was sitting beside Miss Ramsay, and he had nothing in the world to say to her. I'm so sorry, said Miss Ramsay, turning to him at last. He felt rigid and barren, like a pair of boots that has been soaked and gone dry so that you can hardly force your feet into them. Yet he must force his feet into them. He must make himself talk. Unless he were very careful, she would find out this treachery of his, that he did not care a straw for her, and that would not be at all pleasant, he thought. So he bent his head courteously in her direction. <laughs> and again, this is all interspersed with like little bits of dialogue. But yeah. Sorry, that was on page 65 in chapter 17 of my version. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out where these moments are in my version. Thinking how surprised Miss Ramsey was that Carrie Manning should still exist, that friendships, even the best of them, are frail things. Uh, that line alone made me underline this section, but then, yeah, just using it as this example of... Banks is sitting next to Miss Ramsey. He doesn't really like her, but he has to force himself to talk to her because they're sitting next to each other at this dinner. Oh, yeah, 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 I found it. Okay, it's page 89 in mine. Nice. How you must detest dining in this bare garden, she said, making use, as she did when she was distracted, of her social manner. <laughs> God, I forgot about that moment we get Mr. Banks. It's like a very brief glimpse too, and it's about just because he's one of the people sitting at the table, and like yeah. we're all sitting around a dinner party or not even dinner parties. All these people are actually like staying at the house, right, like the summer house. I guess that was a big thing back then when you were kind of wealthy, is you just had like artists and shit stay at your summer house with you for like months. Like a painter like Lily would just come and be like, "Oh yes, I'd love to stay for free at your house and paint all day." Like. They were, oh, that would be lovely. Writers, all that kind of shit. Yeah, like, come write your novel here. Come finish it up. Yeah, how trifling it all is. How boring it all is. He thought compared with the other thing, work. He sat there drumming his fingers on the tablecloth when he might have been. He took a flashing bird's eye view of his of his work. That Ramsey, or uh. I think that's Mr. Banks. Banks, yeah, that long. What a waste paragraph. of time it was. <laughs> <laughs> what a waste of time it all was to be sure yet he thought she is one of my oldest friends yet now <laughs> yet now at this moment her present her presence meant absolutely nothing to him her beauty meant nothing to him yeah the truth was that he did not enjoy family life <laughs> and like that seems to be sort of the theme bits them like with some of the men in the book but also yeah the this idea that men get like absorbed in work and the world of thoughts and like you know causes external to family and that like mrs ramsey as the woman of this house like has this gift yeah of creating like moments for people which is also something that recurs, but her biggest, I feel like her most sort of meditative moments come when they talk about the waves. The waves is like this recurring image that I guess describes thought. Dude, right there at the end of that same section there, I think this is about either Ramsey or Tansley. 
Of course, Ramsey had dished himself. I think, I don't know. But anyway, it's like he felt extremely, uh, even physically, uncomfortable. He wanted somebody to give him a chance of asserting himself. He wanted it so urgently that he fidgeted in his chair, looked at this person, then at that person, tried to break into their talk, opened his mouth and shut it again. They were talking about the fishing industry. Why did no one ask him his opinion? What did they know about the fishing industry? <laughs> Lily Briscoe knew all that. <laughs> I think it was Tansley she's talking about, yeah. Because Tansley's the one Lily hates because he said women can't write or paint or whatever. So she, like, hates this guy. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah you really have to track it back that far. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who's thoughts you're thinking <laughs> yeah it's funny because in that paragraph we start with miss ramsey yeah and then halfway through that paragraph we move on to mr banks interjecting and then we switch to tansley's point of view like in the middle of the same sentence yeah well mrs ramsey at this dinner is sort of operating as like a kind of weird linchpin <laughs> you know right like it, everyone at whom she directs an interaction, we sort of get that person's internal monologue. So I mean, so it she's does... like the transition. But as you're reading it, you do follow along with like the progression, like the jumping from yeah. here to there, because you're kind it of across sense. the table. Yeah. But it... you do have to like the sentences are long, and sometimes you do have to track back for a while if you're like, like there were paragraphs that I had to read and reread, and I still feel like I need to reread this book to fully get at it. It's one of those that has so much going on that you can read it and read it and find something new every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very. I mean, it's brilliant. But yeah, so much of it's just really gorgeous. I think that Lily and Mrs. Ramsey are in a lot of ways the same. They both have the image of the waves whenever they're like, they have moments of thought where we see the waves as kind of like a representation of being or of the way thoughts move. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Ben. I guess do you want to move on from the dinner scene or yeah because that's and that is like the probably the most pivotal at least the most enjoyable scene for the reader last thing i have for this before we get a book or a section two uh the kind of going back to that dynamic of marriage and i have this long chunk on page 89 blocked off it's literally the last section the last couple paragraphs before we get to part two so the last couple paragraphs of part one here really the last time we see miss ramsey because she we find out that she died uh, in the beginning of part two but uh yeah when he ranster and mrs ramsey are kind of alone this is after the dinner and i guess they're kind of sitting around and he just says uh you won't finish that stocking tonight he said pointing to her stocking that was what she wanted the asperity in his voice reproving her if he says it's wrong to be pessimistic probably it is wrong she thought the marriage will turn out all right. No, she said, flattening the stocking out upon her knee. I shan't finish it. And what then? For she felt that he was still looking at her, but that his look had changed. He wanted something. One of the things she always found it so difficult to give him. Wanted her to tell him that she loved him. And that, no, she could not do. He found talking so much easier than she did. He could say things. She never could. 
So naturally it was always he that said the things, and then for some reason he would mind this suddenly and would reproach her. A heartless woman, he called her. She never told him that she loved him. But it was not so, it was not so. It was only that she never could say what she felt. Was there no crumb on his coat? Nothing she could do for him? Getting up, she stood at the window with the reddish-brown stocking in her hands, partly to turn away from him, partly because she did not mind looking now, with him watching, at the lighthouse. For she knew that he had turned his head as she turned. He was watching her. She knew that he was thinking, You are more beautiful than ever. And she felt herself very beautiful. Will you not tell me just for once that you love me? He was thinking that, for he was roused. What with Minta and his book, and, his, and its being the end of the day, and their having quarreled about going to the lighthouse. But she could not do it. She could not say it. Then, knowing that he was watching her, instead of saying anything, she turned, holding her stocking, and looked at him. And as she looked at him, she began to smile. For though she had not said a word, he knew, of course he knew, that she loved him. He could not deny it. And smiling, she looked out the window and said, thinking to herself, Nothing on earth can equal this happiness. Yes, you were right. It's going to be wet tomorrow. She had not said it, but he knew it. And she looked at him smiling, for she had triumphed again. It's good shit. Oh my god, dude. Like, it's absolutely beautiful. Like, it's absolutely incredible. Like, and like so, I mean, the marriage, the dynamic of marriage, the unsaid. Yes, you were right. It's going to be wet tomorrow. She had not said it, but he knew it. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And I think it is this level of, again, you're talking about like the dynamic between the sexes in that sense. And then there's like the unsaid said, right? Like she couldn't say she loved him, but couldn't she do something for him to show, to say it, right? Fix his coat, brush a crumb off, make sure. I mean, you know. Well, she also... I mean, I would say one thing that is like a very big difference, I think, between Mr. and Mrs. Ramsey and maybe the dynamic of men and women at the time was that there's a sense, and this is commented on throughout the novel, I think there are these moments that I already talked about that are like meditative and often it has to do with the waves and like um, separating from your sort of sense of self, right? Um, but like this that you sort of give up having your own real personality or she like that to sort of given up her own sort of idiosyncrasies in many ways or whatever would give her like, you know, distinct personality maybe, or she's not entirely herself. Right. She's like the social thing. Um, as opposed to men who like, you know, we get Mr. Ramsey who just sort of, paces about and just thinks on end on and on and like all the time um and that maybe there's like a sense of freedom in that ability to just live in your mind all the time and not have to do all the things for all the people and men seem to take issue with this in the novel yeah that's the thing too yeah the dynamics between 100 years ago and now too with that it's definitely yeah. different but I, I would say she definitely I mean the whole thing ends with for she had triumphed again yeah so it's not like a powerlessness that's it's what I mean still... yeah it's not powerless yeah. it's a different type of well yeah and I think that's acknowledged too all right. the way through especially right. with Lily and yeah. like toward the end um, the interactions between Lily and Mr. Ramsey, but we will get there. 
Um, but the very next section is called Time Passes. And uh, the same house that we were just at, where they were having dinner, is now empty. It's years later. It is sort of being ravaged by nature. And I guess that's meant to imply that Mr. Ramsey, I guess that's that's supposed to say that, you know, he kind of lost concern with the summer house after the death of his wife. And then especially because we only find out briefly and she brackets it off, right, that like uh, 10 years has passed and that Miss Ramsey died suddenly uh that Prue, I think one of their younger daughters died and that Andrew, their kind of star scholarship winning son died in world war one. Yeah. Uh, got like shell shrapnel and just basically died instantly. Yeah. And Prue died in like childbirth or something. Yeah. Um, so everything is completely different, right? So like, it completely changes the dynamic as we move into part two with time passes. We're 10 years advanced. Yeah. And then it is mostly about that house in part two and part two is very brief. Yeah. It's just giving us an image of the house being taken by nature, sort of dilapidated, fallen apart. And then we get this caretaker. Um, and it's these, I guess two caretakers they start sort of fixing it up and they, they give us some backstory and tell us about, you know, obviously all these deaths that have happened and all of the times that they didn't come to the summer house. And we get these little um, parentheticals where we hear about those deaths, right? That's how she uses the parentheticals here. Yeah. And this question of did nature supplement what man advanced? Did she complete what he began? Oh, and this is also when we find out that Carmichael is seeing some success in his poetry now because the war has renewed an interest in poetry. <laughs> the war renewed it. But yeah, it just gets beaten up by the weather. It's falling apart. And then these two um, caretakers. That's interesting too, dude, with like the, the ways that she brackets off these kind of big events. And it's a testament to her craft, I think, where we get these inner monologues, these stream of consciousness, but then the information of something that we need to know is bracketed off, I want to say almost like a screenplay or something, like like a script where you're just kind of bracketing off an important piece of information. Like you just said that Mr. Carmichael's poetry, I actually underlined that line too. The war people said had revived their interest in poetry. That's like bracketed off and just kind of giving us this little information be like, okay, this is a huge part of the story, but it's also separate. And it comes well, at that's... the end of like these long, like kind of uh, small sections, shorter sections of this kind of inner monologue. Well, that's another thing. That was interesting because like at the dinner, you know, when everyone was so interested in talking politics or like, you know, half of the guests were really interested in talking about political things and half of them were clearly not. And then Carmichael is there asking for soup. <laughs> <laughs> As a poet, yeah. <laughs> Who like doesn't like to hang out, you know, like he would rather just like go to his room and hang out. <laughs> Leave his <laughs> like, candle burning. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I, like, 
that was funny to me. It's like, yeah, the war would renew people's <laughs> interest in poetry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. And that's a very brief chapter, or a very brief section, part two. Yeah, and then at the very end of it, Lily Briscoe arrives. Yeah, I put in my notes, part three, all about Lily. And that's what I mean. So we have these kind of bookends where we have mostly Miss Ramsey in the first section. Then we have these kind of just the house itself and these kind of events that transpire that they bracket off over the last 10 years. And then we're back in the house and we're with Lily's back. And it's kind of follows Lily, not exclusively her, obviously, but just it's all mostly the third section is Lily's inner monologue. Yeah. And I would say it's mostly her grappling with the Ramseys, Mr. and Mrs., even though Miss Ramsey's been dead for a long time at this point. Well, the last piece of <clears throat> the second part is actually Lily Briscoe. It's the beginning of her sort of inner monologue. And it also is just like sort of a comment that I think suggests, oh, like, you know, it's that people are here that makes this place beautiful. It's that it's like, it's only beautiful if people are here, right. I guess. Right. What makes a house beautiful? Yeah. But yeah. And the last section is to the, or it's not to the lighthouse. It's just the lighthouse. So we're finally going to the lighthouse. Mrs. Ramsey's dead. Yeah. And I didn't underline much, but yeah, since we finally get that, like the, the actual going to the lighthouse in this last section, it's like, uh, and really, they don't even, you know, the lighthouse doesn't even come in until, like, the very end here. Because most of this last section is about the when we're not in Lily's head, and we're in James, or um, what's her name's head, the, other, the daughter. Yeah, and we're getting, like, these compounding memories throughout this um, section that we're like seeing from the perspective of other characters than we originally saw them too. But James has like this rage toward his father, but Oh yeah, no, there's a sad moment that I was (laughs) the boots. There are the boots. The boots. And so there's this moment where Lily consents, like she's there, she has an interaction with Mr. Ramsey, and she consents that he wants her sympathy. I'm trying to find this line. Do you know where it is? What chapter? I think it's. Let's see, it's close to the beginning. Oh. 153 in mine. Or I guess it's it starts a little a little bit before that. Such expeditions, said Mr. Ramsey. So it's chapter two. Such expeditions, said Mr. Ramsey, scraping the ground with his toe, are very painful. Still, Lily said nothing. She is a stock. She is a stone, he said to himself. They are very exhausting, he said looking with a sickly look that nauseated her. He was acting, she felt. This great man was dramatizing himself. But his beautiful hands. It was horrible. It was indecent. Would they never come, she asked. 
for she could not sustain this enormous weight of sorrow, support these heavy draperies of grief. He had, a short, he had assumed a pose of extreme decrepitude. He even tottered a little as he stood there a moment longer. She could say nothing. The whole horizon seemed swept bare of objects to talk about. Could only feel amazedly as Mr. Ramsey stood there, how his gaze seemed a full to fall dolefully over the sunny grass and discolor it and cast over the rubicund, drowsy, entirely contented figure of Mr. Carmichael reading a French novel on a deck chair, a veil of crepe. Look at him, he seemed to be saying. Look at me. And indeed, all the time he was feeling, think of me, think of me. What beautiful boots, she exclaimed. Yeah. yeah, so she's like looking for something to say and she says, what beautiful boots, she exclaimed. She was ashamed of herself to praise his boots when he asked her for solace his, to solace his soul. When he had shown her his bleeding hands, his lacerated heart, and asked her to pity them, then to say cheerfully, ah, what beautiful boots you wear. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> And, like, Mr. Ramsey has, like, a really positive response to this. <laughs> and he's, like, excited to talk about decent bootmakers. Yeah. Only one man in England who can make boots like that. Boots are among the chief curses of mankind, he said. Bootmakers make it their business, he exclaimed, to cripple and torture the human foot. <laughs> Yeah, what's happening in this part, you know? Like, what, what, in terms of Lily, are we getting, there's a hint that Lily is obviously softening on Mr. Ramsey. Not well, quite. Well, because here's Mr. Ramsey without Mrs. Ramsey to praise his boots. Yeah. How wonderful they are. But also, they're like these wonderful boots. They're like, they are to him as art is to Lily. Like, this thing of, beauty and joy that is like going to continue to be that for him for his life well-made boots yeah well we get that same like i mean it's the same idea that's like sort of all throughout this like you know mrs ramsey's ability to sort of like create like a distinct moment in time Right. And um, Lily's making art. Right. That's what she's looking forward to. Something some something of permanence, but not necessarily of the world. Yeah. And then, you know, for Mr. Ramsey, it's his boots. I kept getting this weird thing when I was reading these last sections of Lily as if like Lily was almost considering like. I don't know. I feel like there's subtle hints of Lily not just, like, softening on Mr. Ramsey. Oh, she totally is. But, like, there's a little bit more than that. That Like, she's kind of afraid of the fact that she might like him. Well, right, but she also understands how sad he is now. Which is kind of what In makes way, her like yeah, him. Like, yeah, actually, like... or, like, feel a great actual sympathy for him that she didn't before right when he was asking her for it and now she can that she can give it freely and he's not actually there 
um, because she's like thinking about it and saying, but now he had nobody to talk to about that table or his boots or his knots. And he was like a lion seeking whom he could devour. And his face had that touch of desperation, of exaggeration in it, which alarmed her. And then she recalled there was that sudden revivification, that sudden flare when she praised his boots, that sudden recovery of vitality and interest in ordinary human things, which too passed and changed, for he was always changing and hid nothing into that other final phase, which was new to her and had, and had she owned, made herself ashamed of her own irritability when it seemed as if he had shed worries and ambitions and the hope of sympathy and the desire for praise had entered some other region, was drawn on as if by curiosity in the dumb colloquy, whether with himself or with another at the head of that little procession out of one's range. An extraordinary face. The gate banged. Yeah, and it's really quite quite beautiful like i said there especially in that last section because you know that last section i read kind of all at once uh and like i said i was fucking hypnotized like i was hypnotized and i remember my wife came into the room at one point when i was reading like the last like 15 pages and she kind of like interrupted me uh i forget you know just asking me something and i was just like kind of like completely out of it dude i was completely sucked into this little like you know fictional world just hypnotized by it and it took me a second to be like wait a minute what what did you just say like i (laughs) i was in a completely different world here and you just came in and reminded me that like i'm in the real world and i'm like oh shit i was just hypnotized like and you follow lily's thought process through and again like she's the major character change i guess you get ramsey peripherally through Lily kind of realizing that he's changed over the 10 years, but Lily is kind of getting this catastrophic realization that she actually cared deeply for the Ramses, uh, particularly Miss Ramsey. Yeah. But then she also says, Oh, she's kind of out of date right now. Like all of her ideas are kind of, mm. and then she kind of turns to Mr. Ramsey and it's like, Oh, it's you that I want because you're actually here and alive. Or so I assume. But where's that part where she says he tied, you know, he wore boots and tied knots or some shit. Like, it was a really good, like, short mm. two sentences. Wearing boots and tying knots. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember where it is, but my God, it just made me laugh. It was also so sad. Dude, that, and I mean, this the scenes with Cam and James, especially in those last couple pages of them on the boat heading to the lighthouse and Mr. Ramsey's reading that book. You're talking about the, um, when? Uh, chapter 11 in the last section here. And I'm thinking of, you know, because there's allusion or there's mention before this to, um, Cam and James, the two younger children, are the only ones left at home still, and, you know, they're both, like, 17 and 16 or something like that, or 17 and 18, and they're going on the boat, and you just get a lot of Cam's perspective that you didn't get before, 
and she's saying in this uh, paragraph on page 141 in my version, she says, lest this should be wrong, she looked at him reading the little book with the shiny cover modeled like a plover's egg. No, it was right. Look at him now, she wanted to say aloud to James, but James had his eye on the sail. He is a sarcastic brute, James would say. He brings the talk round to himself and his books, James would say. He is intolerably egotistical. Worst of all, he is a tyrant. But look, she said, looking at him. Look at him now. She looked at him reading the little book with his legs curled, the little book whose yellowish pages she knew without knowing what was written on them. And yeah, it's just... I, there's These things are so moving and they're so subtle, you know? Yeah. But they're so moving. Like, she manages to capture this kind of, like, this, you know, the sister trying to get her brother's attention to be like, well, hold on a minute. Like, look at look at our father right now. Like, is he really what you say he is kind of thing? Yeah, because, and James has, like, this vision of his father as, like, a terrible guy. Like, and always wants to, there's all, <laughs> he keeps thinking about killing him. Not actually, but, like keeps thinking about it would like to kill him yeah and i mean you know this is we go back to oedipus and all this kind of stuff like freud all these people that like have hinted at this kind of the male kind of default setting here where you're constantly competing against your father and your father's father right kind of thing well and it's because well and but like not, we also get james's yeah. perspective early on that like he's like he hated his father then too well i guess really it was mrs ramsey's perspective saying like yeah the kids all hate him he because he's so like severe and he's a brute incapable yeah he's incapable of just egotistical having a nonsense fun time but always brings the conversation to himself in his books. Like, that's what they would yeah. say. Again, this is very apt description of academics, right? But <laughs> it's also very, just, uh, like, wants his dad to say, like, I'm proud of you. Right. Because, and and then his dad too. Says, like, says that he's proud of him. <laughs> well, he and doesn't he even, tries right? Not, it's well, unsaid. He tries not to show. Is it unsaid? Well, I guess he says that's how it ends, right? The very end. I guess he says it. Because, like, and, and that's when, like, Cam is looking at him being, like, I know that you're just pretending not to be moved right now. Is that what all men are looking for? The approval of their fathers? Yes. Is that what it's about? Well, that little scene, yes. I think that's and one of the Lily things. finishes her painting, finally. And I think that's one of the things that Wolf captures in this book. And we keep going back to this kind of, yeah, like the sexes dynamic, the male-female dynamic. Huge theme because we're just getting the inner monologues. Uh, they're in the same scene, so that's a perfect way to display it. They're in the same scene, but then we have the inner monologues that are completely different, thinking about the same things, but they're completely different ways of thinking about it, all that kind of stuff. Like, But yeah. That too, dude. I mean, there is this level of... Yeah. James now has the thing that his father, maybe we can assume, never got. <laughs> right. Because, you know, well, there's that part where. He praised I, Andrew that's... all the time. He praised his son that he was most proud of, right? Like his scholarships and all that. But now Andrew's dead. Like Andrew's been dead since the war. And James, I guess, is, you know, it's hinted that he's feeling like. I'm, you know, the only 
son left like i guess they had eight kids so maybe not but like yeah what do you want me to do for you to kind of clap me on the back type thing yeah it's a huge thing man huge this is a huge theme in literature general of course particularly men that want this approval from their father i mean this is huge theme reoccurs because it's very human right like it's just a fact of kind of life in that regard not that i mean every child wants approval from their parents obviously but uh there is i mean there's it's the same way with daughters and mothers as sons and fathers types things like there is that dynamic that's a little bit different like it's a little bit different need that is trying to be fulfilled in those relationships and same thing difference right so james got everything he needed from his mother right like he loves his mother and he thinks of her fondly like he get his kind of flashbacks to her death is most of his perspective in the end of that book there right this last section yeah. so there is that level of it but uh yeah man i mean it's different so he got this love he got what he needed from his mother but would, and i think this is kind of the constantly dynamic so even miss ramsey and uh is not you could argue i guess is not quite getting what she needs from her husband or and then he thinks he's not he's not getting quite what he needs from his wife, right? Like this kind of like constant. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's it captures those insecurities that we all feel, and like at a bunch of different levels, which I guess is what makes this so beloved, such a great classic, uh, so revered. Yeah, I mean, there's even that moment at the in the dinner scene where he's talk where uh, Mrs. Ramsey. I think it's Mrs. Ramsey. Maybe it's Lily, but I think it's Mrs. Ramsey is thinking about the way she sees him interacting with younger prettier women oh yes oh yes like another very real dynamic that uh i guess mattered more uh back then in terms of like the sexism and, st- and illegal like legalized sexism that was like happening yeah. uh uh but yeah like it was literally written into law like <laughs> the fucking sexism was uh written into law but uh yeah that's uh yeah man i mean it's 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 incredible my yeah my final question and we may have already covered this maybe it's a dumb question but i i kept asking myself when i finished reading this book and i was incredibly moved by this book uh it's a short book so but it is incredibly dense like you know it's a 150 page book for me so i could usually read a 150 page book in like a day or two right i mean it takes like an hour a couple hours to read a short book but with this book dude it took me like four days to read this 150 page novel just because it's so dense and i was very moved by it and i was very like oh my god this is gorgeous prose gorgeous structure it's brilliant genius level structure style all of that but then i got to the end of it and i kept asking myself what is this book about <laughs> i mean i think it's tough right <laughs> like i kept trying to think i kept trying to and i, I wrote down i mean few... i think it's about the nature of being right we get all of this talk of like what is life what is um like who are we when we are at most at ourselves and are most comfortable Right, I think it tackles all of those questions. We get um, what I assume is probably close to Wolf's philosophy, like is you know, all we have is like 
each other and like you should like make these beautiful things whatever you know whether it's like these moments like mrs ramsey or um these boots that mr ramsey has or like the works of art that lily makes that she is certain will be forgotten but is also seemingly adamant that you do it less so for fame because she's it seems very critical of not even critical, maybe just honest about the nature of fame and like what actually drives the desire for it. Yeah. That, I, you know. I struggled for an answer. I started writing things like, okay, what would I say if I had to give this to like, you know, sum it up in a sentence, like, what is this about? Uh, and you know, you go very large, you go very small humanity people. You said being right this idea I was I the best thing that I found most satisfying and just like my own thinking was I started I wrote down the in-betweens um, moments of epiphany not even that because I, I, well, just, I mean I read this book in the context of a modern epiphany class well I mean it is yeah but I just mean like uh, the in-between so like every major event like is and even the bit major deaths right we just get those kind of like bracketed off in like other sections they're just like a little and they're very short little basically like i said almost screenwriting like with just a little bit of information here that you need bracketed off from the rest of the text and then like yeah the whole book is about in between those things <laughs> like what's happening in between these what? things and not just that like what's happening in between two people when they're sitting at dinner and there's a lull of silence all of a sudden, like what is happening? Like these little in-between moments that are so brief and fluttering, but they are also so vital and important to like kind of understanding the situation, the dynamic, uh, anything, you know, I don't know. Yeah. That's the best answer. I, mean, I, come I up think with. you know how I feel about like just trying to so easily sort of in a sentence say what, something is about but um yeah i mean you could call it like a portrait of like you know like a of a family or a domestic portrait but also i think that would be kind of narrow right i think it is broader i think it, it is like a portrait of internal life within a like yeah i mean i guess that's what it is that's what i mean i don't but, i don't mean like, like... Yeah, like, obviously, we, we've talked about this all the time on the podcast, but it's like, okay, like, it doesn't necessarily have to have, you know, about it. when I say what it's about, I don't mean, oh, it's about this guy, like, plot points, you know, like, oh, this one yeah. guy. I mean, like, you know, what's it saying? Like, what the fuck is this well, trying yeah, that's to what say? I mean. I think it, or I successfully say. Yeah. I mean, I think that's hard. And this is another argument that we can have at another time, because we've argued about this plenty, I think, about whether something has to have like a single sentence that you could say, this is clearly what this is about. Um, Cause I think things are typically more complicated than that. That's why I think we have themes. Like it's about the male female dynamic. It's about like, especially within the house and it's about, you know, these deep rich inner lives that never actually um, get articulated, get, but like are known 
to right. some degree or aren't known or the ways that we know people like we, which we really get with Lily Bosco who explains like, yeah, you make up these stories in your head about the lives of people. And, you know, we call this knowing people <laughs> like, and it's true like that. And it's just so poignantly said at every turn. It's about how much do we know of one another? Really? How much do we know of ourselves that we don't say out loud? Right. Manners. Customs. Yeah. Like all this kind of... It's very dense. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's this... It's And it's so... I would say it's not even... Like I would say like manners and customs. I think of like Edith Wharton. But I think with Virginia Woolf, like there is that. But I think it's so much more about the inner lives than it is about... Like what happens around a given custom. Like yeah, we get dinner, right? But like we don't get like... We only get glimpses of those things. Like the after dinner drawing room talk and like all of these other small things or like Mrs. Ramsey, like there are things that are like ritual, you know, I would say maybe more. Right. And I, I, the reason I bring that up is yes, yeah, so a ritual. I would call that just, you know, politeness manners that we use. You don't say what you're thinking in your head when you're talking to somebody in polite conversation type thing. Right. But in this right. novel, we get all of that. <laughs> like we get everything right. that nobody's saying. So it's like this, it's about these in between spaces like these. And I get that's vague. Like it doesn't really kneel down what it is, but it's also because this book is so dense. Yeah. So I don't know. That was just, yeah. I kept racking yeah, my brain. No. I think it's great. I love it. I also think it's about like the nature of thought. Yeah. You just have to fucking read it. Listeners. <laughs> right? yeah, you just have to really... fucking read it. <laughs> it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. We get this whole little like snippet at the end that I like I said I think is maybe like where like L Lily um what's her name? Lily Briscoe. Briscoe. I feel like I keep calling her this the wrong name. I feel like I've called her Lily Bosco. Lily is a very uh like the chocolate. No, like yeah, like Lily is uh, a very <laughs> very popular female name i guess in novels at this time i'm thinking of like all the edith wharton novel we read and then uh whatever i guess it's just a common yeah but anyway i uh probably fucked that up a bunch of times while we were having this conversation <sighs> lily bosco uh -huh. she's heir to a chocolate empire uh no. oh but um what is the meaning of life? That was all. A simple question. One that tended to close in on one with years. The great revelation had never come. The great revelation perhaps never did come. Instead, there were these, there were little daily miracles, illuminations, matches struck unexpectedly in the dark. Here was one. This, that, and the other. Herself and Charles Tansley and the other and the breaking wave, Mrs. Ramsey bringing them together, Mrs. Ramsey saying, life stands still here, Mrs. Ramsey making of the moment something permanent, as in another sphere, Lily herself tried to make of the moment something permanent. This was the nature of a revelation. I think you just nailed it, dude. The line that I would say nails it the most matches struck unexpectedly in the dark 
So like, oh, what's this novel about? This novel's about matches struck unexpectedly in the dark, like little miracles. Uh, the nature of revelation. That's yeah. like what she's calling it, right? right? Yeah, yeah. I just like that description mid- better. Yeah. yeah. In the midst of chaos, there was shape, this eternal passing and flowing. She looked at the clouds going and the leaves shaking. We get a lot of leaves, by the way, a lot of leaves and a lot of waves and a lot of water-related language. Um, Coast of England, man. I mean, not to mention yeah. yeah I mean, there England. was shape. Life stands still here, Mrs. Ramsay said. Mrs. Ramsay, Mrs. Ramsay, she repeated. She owed it all to her. Yeah, man, I mean, you know, all this fucking... England is fucking wet as shit. Like, it's an island and then it just fucking rains all the time. It's wet as yeah. shit, dude. Leaves, water. Yeah, I think that's a lot of what this book is about. If I had to point to one of many... Se- I mean, I think there are a bunch of sections where you could point to like what this book is about. But I would say that's a good one to go to. Yeah, man. Great fucking read. Buy the book. Read it. Stop pretending that you've read it. Read the book. And join the convo. Join Heavy Board on Patreon. Patreon.com slash heavy board anything else on this or are we done i'm thinking right, that probably means we're done means we're done yeah maybe we hit almost two hours here we'll cut we'll cut it down uh, uh, yeah. anything else you wanted to mention say before we wrap up or um buy the book <laughs> buy yeah, this buy fucking book. book read I it really Read it Make and be... Make a temperature adjustment over here, because I'm, like, sweating like a fucking pig. Yeah, read it and watch uh, matches uh, be struck unexpectedly in the dark. It is... You have to read it, too. Like, it's hard... Like, we're... I'm struggling to... Des- like, we're struggling to describe it. Like, you have to read it. Like, if you haven't read Virginia Wolf, Go buy this book right now. <laughs> Click the link in the description of this podcast and fucking buy it. Spend a couple of days with it and you won't regret it. That's my sign-off message. Yeah. Um, I'm Sophie Wiener and my heater is permanently stuck in the on position. <laughs> is it cold there? Yep. Yeah, how cold is it? Winter, bitch. Yeah, dude, I live in places that don't really have winter. (laughs) The last, like, six years I've lived in places that don't get those temperatures, like in Maryland. Yeah, it's winter as shit here right now. I like not having winter, actually. I've grown accustomed to it, living in the south and now living in the southwest. And so, yeah, I like not having snow. I like it not getting colder than, like, 50 degrees ever. Wouldn't do well. It's a good temperature. It's a confusing temperature sometimes, though. Not uh, always sure how to dress for 50 kind of pisses me it, off. It is, yeah. You need a specific type of jacket. Uh, the British have kind of accomplished this. If you look at some of the British like jackets, they're kind of nice. Like the hunting coats that are meant for fall weather. Anyway, that's just my... Anyway, yeah. All right, we're done with Virginia Woolf. Good read. <laughs> Buy the book. Uh, reminders. We're looking for workshop horror stories. If you have a good workshop horror story that was... Uh, uh, give everybody a laugh we'd love to commiserate with you send your workshop horror story to heavyboardpodcast at gmail.com reminder for listeners if you're a patreon subscriber your email automatically gets prioritized (laughs) you get priority uh 
access to us in that regard. So if you're like, oh, why aren't we looking at your email? Why aren't we reading your workshop horror stories? Like, well, if you pay us, we uh, we prioritize your story. <laughs> okay, we'll uh, we'll put that on there. But yeah, so send your workshop horror story to heavyboardpodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash heavyboard. You receive full uncensored episodes for subscribers. Uh, if you're cheap, check out our YouTube channels. We'll post free episodes and clips up there as well. Uh, all the links to the books and shit, both versions that we read this week, uh, are linked in the description. Uh, and next episode, we are doing Ben Learner's The Art of Reading... No, 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 fuck. <laughs> next week, we are doing Ben Learner's The Hatred, The Hatred of Poetry. Oof. I've never read it. Oh. That's going to be fun, dude. That's going to be a lot of fun. I guess you're in for a treat. Oh, you've read it? Mm-hmm. Damn. You don't seem excited. Don't I? Yeah, I'm very excited for it, so it'll be a good conversation. I, maybe not. Maybe us doing his book, he'll come on and do an interview, dude. I don't know about that. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, next week we're doing uh, yeah, Ben Lerner's The Hatred of Poetry. Which is fitting because I hate it right now. So we're going to see what happens. Also, if you can get us a Metamucil sponsorship, bidet sponsorship, TP, anything related to dumping or hygiene with uh, your your butthole, we will uh, we want a scholarship. We want a sponsorship. Scholarship. I got the (laughs) Metamucil scholarship, dude. I'm going for free. (laughs) They should put out a scholarship. Yeah, dude. We can start one, dude. We'll start the Heavy Board Foundation, brought to you by Metamucil. Metamucil (laughs) Scholarship. (laughs) Yeah, dude. I'd be proud of that. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been Heavy Board. I'm Andrew Whitstep. Yeah, I'll raise my name. I guess we'll see you next time. Bye. I am heavy, heavy, heavy board. Sweats and the day sweats, pal. Pal, I do.